Hi guys, uh, Pastor Greg Corcoran here from Battlefield Baptist Church. Uh, pray that this sermon is a blessing, an encouragement, and a challenge to you in your walk with the Lord. Additionally, I just wanted to say that if we here at Battlefield can ever be a blessing to you, please don't hesitate to contact us. And the best way to do that is through our website at battlefieldbaptist.org. Again, I pray this sermon blesses you, encourages you, and uh, that you'll fall more in love with God, more in love with His Word, and more in love with people. Before we get started today, I'd like to ask you guys to pray with me, but I have a few specific requests. I want us to be in unison in what we're getting ready to pray about. <laughs> Uh, obviously for the service, but I usually try to pray up before I get up here. Listen, if you get up somewhere and the pastor's just praying away for the service, beware, right? That dude needs to be prayed up before he gets up. I'm prayed up about this service. I would like for you to just ask the Lord to bless it with me um, as well. I understand that it's only through him and his spirit that anything like beneficial even happens in this place at all. So um, obviously we want to pray about that. I'd also like to ask you to pray for our pastor. Uh, I'm not the pastor. If you're here visiting, it's not me. I'm not the dude um, at all. Our pastor is sick yet again. Um, he has uh, pneumonia again for like the second week in a row. He thought he was getting a little bit better, but the cough just keeps coming. If you heard him cough, it'd make your throat hurt, I promise. Like, I know he has a six-pack by now. My man's just coughing his head off. Um, please, please, please be in prayer um, just here in a second for our pastor. And then also selfishly, I just like to ask that you pray for my little one. Um, my little one, Jeremiah's two, in case you aren't, like in case you, you just, you're visiting, you don't know. <laughs> um, he's two, but he, he has RSV. He was diagnosed with RSV earlier this week. We had to take him in. And so having a sick two-year-old at the house, in case you've forgotten, maybe you're a little bit senior in age, is the worst. It's the, it's the worst thing ever. So there's like pneumonia and a sick two-year-old is right underneath of that. So if we could just pray, um, obviously for the service that God would bless, um, we're going to also pray for Pastor Greg and then pray for my mic and then also pray for, we're going to pray for um, my son selfishly. Um, would you join me in prayer, please? Father, thank you so much again for this opportunity we have to be in your word, to, to preach your word. God, you are so awesome, right? You are so great. You are amazing. God, you are everything that we need. You are the creator and the sustainer of this world. God, pneumonia is nothing for you. You created us. RSV is nothing. So God, I ask that you would touch and heal our pastor May he begin to feel better today. God, that his cough would subside. God, that he would begin to regain his energy. And I pray that you would protect my little one, Father. That you would keep him from getting any sicker. And that he would begin to start to feel better today. Most of all, God, I ask that you would just bless the preaching and teaching of your word here over these next few moments. Ultimately, God, I pray that what's said and done will be honoring to you, but I pray that your spirit would move in this place, maybe like never before. God, we pray all these things in Jesus' name. Amen. We live in a day where we idolize the good and we trivialize the great. Where we as a people are so consumed with trivial petty, superficial, not bad, but good battles. 
consider with me the game of football. You ever been to a game? May ever been to a game? You're driving out. Here it's the worst, honestly. You're, you're driving out. It's like you got to go 66 and then maybe 495, God forbid, and then it's just trash. Your mood's already brewing. But you're seeing flags flying on the cars. I mean, people are hyped. Maybe you're seeing, like, face paint. Maybe you drive across, like, the true, true, like, real fan. See, when you get there, literally thousands of people. You feel like you didn't bring enough hand sanitizer with you. It's just thousands of people everywhere just standing on their feet. They're cheering. They're yelling, jumping up and up and down. They're high-fiving. They're hugging. Someone scores a touchdown. And all, like, in the midst of this exuberant celebration, a shirtless fella with pain on his chest and another guy, they're high-fiving. Two complete strangers. They find themselves in the midst of another man's embrace. And listen, it's like this the whole game. I people watch more than I watch the game. I need to just stay home or I won't see the game at all. But it's really, it's like this the whole game, right? I'm not talking about two men like uncomfortably embracing each other. I'm talking about like the intensity, right? The whole time it's like this. Unless you're a Commanders fan, this is kind of, it's kind of boring. But like, listen, I, this is just the truth. Last week was the most exciting game I've seen in a minute. All of this for, if I just be honest, a bunch of overpaid guys carrying like a pigskin ball across a white line. But then I read, I read Jonathan Edwards. Right, he said this, he said, our, our external delights our earthly pleasures, our, our ambition and our reputation, our, our human relationships, for all of these things, our desires are eager, our appetites are strong, our love warm and affectionate. When it comes to these things, our hearts are tender and sensitive. They're deeply impressed, easily moved, with much concern and, and greatly engaged. We are depressed at our losses and we are excited and joyful about any worldly success or prosperity. But when it comes to spiritual matters, how dull we feel. How heavy and hard our hearts. We can sit and hear of the infinite length and, and height and breadth of the love of God in Christ Jesus and in his giving of his infinitely dear son and yet sit there cold and unmoved. If we are going to be excited about anything, shouldn't it be our spiritual lives? Is there anything more inspiring, more exciting, more lovable or desirable in heaven or on earth than the gospel of Jesus Christ? We should be utterly humbled that we are not more emotionally affected than we are in the church. Gosh, I pray that God would cleanse our apathy. I pray that somehow our, our affections for the Lord would be awakened and provoked more than they ever are for football or baseball or basketball or any of the other good things in this world. Maybe if only we could see God for who he truly is as Isaiah did 
in chapter 6. And that'll be our passage for this morning. And honestly, I'm a little hesitant this morning. Every time I have to preach um, something that's a little bit more familiar, the text is a little more familiar, I'm always a little hesitant. I hate for people just to think like, man, I, I understand this text. I've heard a preacher preach on this text and to just zone out. So I'm, honestly, I'm a little bit hesitant. But I do pray that God would awaken our affections by his spirit. Here this morning, Isaiah 6, verse 1. It says, In the year that King Uzziah died, I saw also the Lord sitting upon a throne, high and lifted up. His train filled the temple. Above it stood the seraphims. Each one had six wings. With twain he covered his face, and with twain he covered his feet, and with twain he did fly. And one cried unto another, and he said, Holy, holy, holy is the Lord of hosts. The whole earth is full of his glory. And the post of the door moved at the voice of him that cried, and the house was filled with smoke. And then I said, woe is me, for I am undone because I am a man of unclean lips and I dwell in the midst of a people of unclean lips. For mine eyes have seen the King, the Lord of hosts. Hey friends, we, we serve an indescribably great, great, great God. Right, like our God reigns. In Isaiah 6, right in verse 1, we, re we read like, in the year that King Uzziah died, 52 years Uzziah had been king. Right, we are used to a president who's in leadership for four years at, at a max of eight, but 52 years he was king. And for many, if not most, um, he had been their only ruler, their only king. Right, for the majority of his reign, honestly, he'd been a good, a good king pridefully stumbled towards the end. Um, but for the most part, he was a good king. The country and the, and the people of God, they had done well under his leadership. But now he was gone. And we read that Isaiah looked up and he saw the Lord. When the king was gone, Isaiah looked up and he saw who the real king was and he was still on his throne. And I just have to wonder, if there's something or someone that maybe we've placed on the throne of our hearts that's blocking us from viewing his majesty sometimes. Right throughout history, listen, lords have come and they've gone. Kings have come and gone. Presidents have come and they've gone. But there is one king who remains. Right, he is exalted, he is high, he's lifted up. Isaiah tells us he's surrounded by the seraphim. Literally means burning ones, right? Angels who are ablaze with their adoration of God and they're continually giving glory and praise and honor to God and their song selection is holy, holy, holy. And we don't talk like that much, but it's almost as if like, they're, con they're confined by this leash of language. And they're, they're trying to describe the, the one with whom they, they surround. And the only word that just comes out, it comes out over and over and over. And it's just holy, holy, holy. His holiness is terrifying. 
He is without error. He is perfect. Our God has never had a wrong thought or a wrong motive, never done a wrong deed. Everything in our lives, everything that, that even hurts or things that we don't understand or things that we can't comprehend, we know that those things are right. He is without error, but, but for him to be holy doesn't just mean that he's without error. I mean, in, in a sense, not in the same way, but this could be said about the angels that surround him. Right? They, they've not sinned, and they're not, they're not part of fallen humanity or fallen angels. But for him to be holy, it doesn't just mean he's without error. It means he's, he's without equal. Right? He is completely other. In, incomparable, indescribable. It's, it's folly for us to even try to find someone to compare or try to comprehend what could possibly compare to him. He is without equal. The Lord said to Isaiah in Isaiah 40, verse 25, he, he says, to whom then will ye liken me? Or shall I be equal, saith the Holy One? Lift up your eyes on high, and behold, who hath created these things that bringeth out their hosts by number? He calleth them all by name, hundreds of billions of stars. Right? And, and maybe, possibly, like uh, different galaxies and, and hundreds of billions more inside of them. And the Bible tells us he knows them all by name. I struggle with the names of, of the same 30 kids sometimes. He knows them all by name. There is not one piece of creation, not one speck of dirt, not one drop of water, not one grain of sand that doesn't respond to our God's bidding. God is great and God is sovereign. He is supreme ruler over all. Hey, may it not be said of any one of us in this room that there's not an evident respect for the author of the universe. Right? Sovereign over all nature, over all nations. Turn with me, if you would, to Isaiah 36, if you have your Bibles. I certainly pray that you do. Great place to bring it. We have some in the seat backs, but there's nothing like your own being able to mark it, take notes, maybe write out a sermon as the Lord brings it to you. You never know when you get called upon. Remember with me the context of the book of Isaiah for a minute. Um, Israel's been split into two separate kingdoms, right, by Rehoboam and, and Jeroboam, Solomon's sons. Listen, be, be careful who you take advice from. The southern kingdom is made up of, of the tribes of Benjamin and Judah, and the northern kingdom consists of the ten remaining tribes. At this point, the, the northern kingdom has fallen. The, the Assyrians are on the assault. The assault and, and listen, city after city after city has fallen, and suddenly the, they surround um, Jerusalem. 185,000 troops surround the city, just ready to pulverize it. I mean, can you imagine for a second? Probably not. I, I know I struggle too. Can you imagine what it must be like in that city? 
I mean, hearing all that's happened to the northern kingdom, right? Like the Assyrians, all the, all the brutality, all the things that they've done, and now they're surrounding the city with 185,000 troops. It's not, it's not like 10 dudes knocked on the door and were like telling you to come out and they want to beat you up. This is 185,000. And the king's telling you, listen, trust in God. I don't know what we're going to do. I don't know how we're going to get out of this, but I know we need to trust in God. If you just trust in God and listen to what happens, right? The Assyrian commander, he comes and he comes out and he begins to threaten the people of God. This is when we pick up in Isaiah 36, verse 18. He says, beware, lest Hezekiah persuade you, saying the Lord will deliver us. Hath any of the gods of the nations delivered his land out of the hand of the king of Assyria? Where are the gods of Hamath and Arphad? Where are the gods of Sepharadim? And have they delivered Samaria out of my hand? And who are they among all the gods of these lands that have delivered their land out of my hand that the Lord should deliver Jerusalem out of my hand? Wow, that's bold. Not like be bold in the Lord like we were preaching last week. That's bold. He shouldn't have said that. <laughs> Verse 23, look at what God says. He says, whom hast thou reproached and blasphemed? He says, who are you talking to, boy? And against whom hast thou exalted thy voice and lifted up thine eyes on high? Even against the Holy One of Israel? He says, by thy servants hast thou reproached the Lord and hast said, by the multitude of my chariots am I come up against the height of the mountains, right, and to the sides of Lebanon, and I'll cut down the tall cedars thereof and the choice fir trees thereof. And I will enter into the height of his border in the forest of his Carmel. I have digged and I have drank water and with the sole of my feet I have dried up the rivers of the besieged places. Hast thou not heard long ago how I have done it? And of ancient times that I have formed it? Now I have brought it to pass that thou shouldest be um, delayed to waste the defense cities in ruinous heaps. Therefore, their inhabitants were of small power, and they were dismayed and confounded. They were as grass of the field, they were as the green herb, and they were as the grass of the housetops, and as corn blasted before it had grown up. But I know thy abode. I know thy going out and thy coming in, and thy rage against me, and because thy rage against me, and thy tumult has come up into mine ears, therefore I will put my hook in thy nose and a bridle in thy lips. And I will turn thee back the way that thou camest. Them is fighting words. Hey, man, them is fighting words. Look at what happens, verse 33. Therefore, thus saith the Lord concerning the king of Assyria, he shall not come into this city, nor shoot an arrow there, nor come before it with shields, nor cast a bank against it. By the way that he came, by the same shall he return and thou shalt not come into this city, saith the Lord, for I will defend this city to save it for my own sake and for my servant David's sake, 
And then the angel of the Lord went forth and he smote the camp of the Assyrians, a hundred and four score, five thousand. And when they arose in the morning, behold, they were all dead corpses. Hey man, mark this down. You don't mess with God. God says, Assyria, you are in my hands. And it's all throughout this book. Egypt, you are in my hands. Judah, you are in my hands. You are all in my hands. And listen, this is good news, isn't it? I mean, if I'm honest, it's a little bit terrifying, but it's also very, very good news. It's good to know. Listen, Kim, Kim Jong-un is not king over all that pimp is crazy. Right? Bashir al-Assad, he's not king over all. Yair Lapid, he's not king over all. Charles III, he may be a king, but he's not king over all. Not Joe Biden or Vladimir Putin or Donald Trump again will not be king over all. Do you understand? Our God is king over all, and he is sovereign. All nature. He is sovereign over all nations. And as we're reminded in Romans 9, listen, he is also sovereign over every single one of our lives. He's sovereign over the first 10 months of our 2022, just as he will our 2023. God is great. God is sovereign. If we are sinfully depraved people, what was Isaiah's response to God? It wasn't wow. It wasn't, man, I'm so awesome. He said, woe is me. I'm ruined. I am, I am undone. The Hebrew word literally means destruction. Like, woe unto me. I am undone. Destruction upon me. And we read that and we think, at least I do, maybe I'm the only one here, but we think, like, isn't that overdoing it a little bit? I mean, really? destruction upon me. I mean, he's, after all, Isaiah's one of the good guys. Right, this is, this is God's man. Right, this is his dude, this is his prophet. But oh, how we need this proper understanding of ourselves in the church today. Right, we look throughout scripture, we see these extreme pictures of, of the sinfulness of man, right, in the light of the wrath of God. And we're tempted at times to think, listen, isn't this, isn't this overly severe? Right? I mean, do you remember in Genesis 19, right? Sodom and Gomorrah. I mean, all those people, the, the whole city. Right? And Lot and his, his wife, they're running from the city. And then we're, we're told, that don't look back. And his wife, she takes one glance back, one glance, and she's turned into a pillar of salt. Evaporated for a glance. Number, numbers 15. We read of a man who's picking up sticks and it's on the Sabbath day, right? And they bring him before God. God, what should we do? What should we do about this guy? God says, stone him. And they stone him to death for picking up sticks. You can come to my house, pick up sticks anytime. Break the leaves. I got you. And they, listen, they stone him to death for picking up sticks. Second Samuel, Uzo, he reaches out and he touches the ark just to keep it from following. He drops dead on the spot. Right, and it's not just Old Testament either. Acts 5, Ananias and Sapphira, they come in, deceives about the offering, struck dead. Wife, the same. 
right? We, we see these pictures, and don't we at least wrestle with this seeming a little bit extreme? I mean, stone him, he's picking up sticks. Evaporated for a glance, one glance. Yeah, I mean, yeah, they lied. They deceived about the offering, but drop dead, really? That's going to hurt the attendance. People start putting money in a plate, just dropping dead. But listen, this is because we have such a man-centered view of sin. Right, we think, like, if someone were to lie to us, I'm not going to strike them down. Right, if, if... my children they disobey me or they, they shouldn't be stoned. But we need to realize it's not about how small or how large the sin is. It's about the greatness of the one with whom we've sinned against. Right? Sin against the Taliban, you're, you're, you're like not really guilty. Right? Sin against man. Okay, you're guilty. Sin against an infinitely holy God and you are infinitely guilty and deserving of eternal damnation. It's not my words. Right? Oh, but praise God. Listen, that's not the end of the story because we serve a scandalously merciful God. Right? Like when somebody receives something that they don't deserve, that that is what a scandal is. Right, and that's exactly what happens to Isaiah in his vision. If you return back to chapter six, right, and you look at verse six, it says, then flew one of the seraphims unto me, having a live coal in his hand, which he had taken with the tongs from off the altar. He laid it upon my mouth and he said, lo, this has touched thy lips and thy iniquity is taken away and thy sin is purged. Listen, through nothing, Through nothing that he had done, God saw fit to cleanse him of his iniquity. That was scandalous. Right? But we expect righteousness to be praised and lifted up, right? We expect wrong to be condemned, and we expect God to do the same. So what do we think of a God who looks at what that is totally wrong and says, totally right? That's scandalous. I thought he was just. How is this possible? Turn with me, um, if you will, to what may be considered the crown jewel of the book of Isaiah. It's chapter um, 53. See, in Isaiah 6, we're given this picture of the holiness of God and and the sinfulness of man and God who takes a sacrifice from off the altar to provide atonement for sin. But the picture in chapter 6 is unclear. It's unfinished. So we know that the Lord had set up a sacrificial system of continual sacrifice, right? Sacrifices like the Passover um, where a lamb was slaughtered, right? And its, its blood provided a covering for sin, right? And then the Day of Atonement, right? Where every year one of the, the sacrifices, a priest would take one of the sacrifices and he'd slaughter it, right? And then he would sprinkle um, the blood, Right? And it was to show that the penalty for sin had been paid for. Death had been doled out, right? And then if you remember, um, they would take the other, right? The scapegoat, as it were. They would lay hands on it as um, a picture of the sins of the people being passed into the sacrifice. And then the goat was taken away outside of the camp into the wilderness, never to be seen again. 
It's a vivid picture every single year of his, of his people, right? Of, of a God who covers um, over sin and removes it. And it's, it's the same word that's used to describe this goat carrying away the sins in Leviticus 16 that Isaiah brings into chapter 53. So chapter 53, verse 4, it says, Surely he hath borne our griefs and carried our sorrows. Yet we did esteem him as stricken, smitten of God, and afflicted. But he was wounded for our transgressions. He was bruised for our iniquities. The, the chastisement of our peace was upon him. And with his stripes we are healed. All we like sheep have gone astray. We have turned everyone from his, or to his own way. And the Lord hath laid on him the iniquity of us all. Listen, Isaiah is saying there's a servant who's coming. Right, he's coming, he's going to endure. He will take away the penalty of sin. He will carry away that penalty of your sins. But he'll not just endure the penalty of sin. We can't just stop there because the picture really is deeper than that. But yes, he will endure the penalty of our sin, but don't miss it. He will endure the penalty of sin on the behalf of the sinner. Look back again at the verses we just read. Look how many times the first person plural um, is used. Surely he hath borne our griefs. He hath carried our sorrows. Yet we did esteem him stricken, smitten of God, and afflicted. And he was wounded for our transgressions. He was bruised for our iniquities. And the chastisement of our peace was laid upon him. And with his stripes, we are healed. And all we like sheep have gone astray. We have turned everyone into his own way. And the Lord hath laid upon him the iniquity of us all. Listen, no less than 10 times. Isaiah is pointing us, um, right? Like bringing us into the passage, if it were. Like he did this for us in our place instead of us. He endured the penalty of sin in the place of us, us sinners. Listen, we know that in this passage, Isaiah is speaking to none other than Jesus Christ our Lord, our Savior. That's God's forgiveness of sins through Jesus, which I am so, so undeserving. It's a scandal, right? Like one day, whether you realize it or not, we'll be face to face. Almost like a courtroom. If you've never been, trust me. I'm going to give you an accurate description. <laughs> You'll be standing before a judge, and there's going to be a prosecuting attorney, and this dude's good. He's going to be hurling lies and accusations like it's his job, because listen, this is the only thing he's been doing for thousands of years. And he would stand there, and he would say, what about the time he lied to his parents? And what about the time he, he stole gas and drove off without paying for it? Or what about the time he, he did this or he tried to deceive the people? Or, or what about this and that? Or the, the years that he sold drugs and, and, and brought other people into his own misery? I mean, what about these times? And listen, I'm going to be standing here. I don't know about you, but guilty as the day is long. But praise God. Praise God. I got a pretty good defense attorney. Hey, man. 
Praise God. It didn't cost any money. It was free. I wouldn't recommend a public defender normally, but in this case, Jesus is your man. He's going to holler out, not guilty, not guilty. And that is scandalous mercy. It's fueled by his grace, and it's made possible by the blood of Jesus Christ. If you haven't experienced that grace, why not this morning? Right? The Bible says now is the day of salvation. We don't. We don't know what's going to happen tomorrow. Right? It's, it's honestly like we, we try to make getting saved, like a relationship with Jesus, like it's complicated. It's like complicated. It's as, it's as easy as ABC. Are you willing to admit that you're a sinner? Right? Romans tells us all have sinned and come short of the glory of God. That's, that's me for sure. I'm betting that's you. Are you willing to believe, right? Just believe that Jesus died for your sins and that he rose again, conquering death and hell. Right, John 3.16 says that God loves you so much, he sent his only son to die for you. And then if you would just believe in him, that, that you won't have to perish. You won't have to pay that penalty because he already did. And that you can have eternal life or everlasting life, maybe your version says. And then are you willing to confess? Right? Are you willing to just confess such to God? Not to me. Not to Pastor Greg. Right, you can just say a simple prayer inside of your heart right where you're at, right? Something as simple as like, dear God, I know that I'm a sinner. God, I understand that you, you came, you died for my sins. God, I don't understand it, but I do understand that I'm lost and that I need you. God, forgive me of my sins. Come in, be Lord and Savior of my life. Lord, I surrender um, my life to you. Right? You could just call upon the name of the Lord. The Bible says, call upon the name of the Lord and thou shalt be saved. You don't have to remember that prayer right there. Just call upon him with a sincere and repentant heart. The Bible says that he will be faithful and just to forgive you of your sins. The Bible also says the wages of sin is death. Hebrews tells us that we get one shot, one life. And then we'll have to stand before the Father to give an account. Right? And when it says the wages of sin is death, it's not just in the physical sense. Yes, sin brought death physically into the world, but it's also talking about an eternity separated from God in a place that the Bible calls hell. Salvation is free. Refusing the gospel may cost you everything. It seems like the risk outweighs the reward. To me, what is stopping you um, this morning? I pray nothing. I pray nothing. Um, if I could just have every head bowed 
and um, Christians praying as we're getting ready to enter into this time of reflection upon God's word this morning. Surely, his grace demands our surrender. I understand that's not a popular message. Right, but this kind of grace has to invoke more than just like the raising of a hand. More than just the reciting of a prayer. Surely this kind of grace should invoke unconditional, urgent surrender of our lives. And not just to God and not just ourselves before God. Yes, it should involve that. But it should also involve this this urgent, unconditional surrender to making his name known wherever he calls us to. Because there's others who are in the exact same situation as us. Is there anything more important than the representation or the declaration of the glory of God to the ends of his earth? Is there anything more important than our ambassadorship on his behalf? What's keeping your eyes off the king this morning, church? What are we willing to sacrifice to grow closer to the Lord? As we enter into this moment, of invitation, I pray that your answer is nothing. I pray that it's nothing. If you need to call upon the name of the Lord to be saved, and you say, Travis, man, I don't have a clue where to begin. Could you just help? Could you just help me? I'll turn this mic off. I'll meet you right down in front. As we enter into this moment of t- invitation, please stand with me.